Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Watch your back, Jean-Luc. Jean-Luc. I'm Captain Captain Jingwei of the USS Voyager. Captain Captain Jingwei of the USS Voyager. Welcome to The Greatest Generation. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys. We're just a little bit embarrassed about having a Star Trek podcast. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. How you doing, Adam? I was a little late to the mic because uh, I had to pull a thing out of Ripley's butt. <laughs> oh. oh. And I thought of you during, Ben, because... <laughs> That's very flattering. Because I was thinking as gross as that experience was for me, uh, you've got to be dealing with far grosser, far more often mm. in your household, right? I guess so. I think that a diaper is grosser in the abstract than it is when it's your particular baby. Mm. There's no such thing as a baby. Like a baby only exists insofar it is in relationship with its parents and caretakers. It's way too heavy to be laying on me in the early <laughs> afternoon, man. Yeah, well, uh, I'm getting barroom philosophical already. You're really Cliff Clavening right now. <laughs> Amazing. Well, the um, lady that taught our like get to know your your baby class uh, said a version of that, and and there's like a a literal version of it, which is like, yeah, if like everybody stops taking care of the baby, the baby dies. Mm-hmm. But it's also like a useful framework for thinking about taking care of one. And I think that some of it is even instinctive. And the poo-poo pee-pee stuff about a baby is very much like, as uh, just like, it's like wiping my own nose, you know? Like, I, I mean. Just not even a thing. I wouldn't want you to wipe my nose, but when I wipe sure. my nose, I'm not like, oh God, it's so disgusting. Yeah, I mean, I would never compare dog ownership with baby ownership, which is what I call being a parent. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, the idea of uh, pulling a poop out of my dog's butt would be horrifying before knowing what it's like to have a yeah. dog in my life. And now that's just like a Thursday afternoon. Right. Was this like uh, the classic, the dog ate something stringy and so there's something hanging out that's attached to something that's still in there? Why do dogs love stringy things so much? It's like their favorite thing. <laughs> and why do the toy makers keep making stringy things? <laughs> I don't know why the scientists keep making. <laughs> yeah, that's how my day's going, Ben. But all in all, pretty good. And I've been looking forward to this episode because uh, it is a Quark's Bar episode, as foretold at the end of the previous episode. We hit that square on the board. Yeah. What are you drinking over there, buddy? I am drinking some uh, Smith and Cross traditional Jamaica rum. This is a pure pot still rum of the Navy strength variety. Now, what mean for uh, for FODs out there who might not be familiar? Navy strength is a uh, way of designating a full spirit liquor that's not quite a like an overproof like a. You know, 151 is the is the classic like high proof rum that mm -hmm. uh, you know college students have Such used. Such a classic, yeah. For time and Miriam to get in big big trouble. Oof! When was the last time you had that? Oh, I I keep some on hand. <laughs> for when college students come over. 
No, I, I enjoy tiki drinks and like your D and D nights must be crazy. Oh yeah, baby. Um, no, like a like a lemon heart or a, you know a Hamilton's uh, one fifty one are called for in many uh, more bracing tiki beverages. So love one of those. Navy strength just refers to alcohol that is sufficiently high in alcohol percentage that if it spills on gunpowder, it doesn't compromise the flammability of the gunpowder. Like the gunpowder will still work in the cannons. And so that is such a great reference. I love that. Yeah. I have no idea if that's like actually based on anything real, but like, I guess in the, in the like Royal Navy in sailing ship days, you got your, your gin ration or your rum ration as part of your daily shit on your ship. Speaking of all of that, famously, you are a, a huge enthusiast of boat movies uh-huh. where they shoot cannons out of the side. Uh-huh. You're, a, you're a big master and commander guy. One of the biggest. I, I believe those fans are just called masturbators. <laughs> anyway, I had just seen Killers of the Flower Moon not that long ago, and the author of Killers of the Flower Moon wrote a book called The Wager, which is a tale of shipwreck, mutiny, and murder. Ben, this is a book I got for you. Oh! So the next time I see you, I'm going to give this to you. I have heard it is superior even. Wow. To Master and Commander, which is why I thought it would make a a kingly gift. So Amazing. uh, Remind me the next time we hang out, I get to give this to you. Have you read or heard of this? I have not. Uh, I, I okay. was literally, like, right before we were recording, I was uh, straightening up my bookshelf, and I pulled out my copy of Master and Commander that a friend of DeSoto sent in on a recent Code 47. I keep it next to my copy of Patriot Games and my copy of Clear and Present Danger. Your issues of Jane's Defense Weekly? <laughs> I was looking at it, and I was like... I'm reading Heat 2 right now. That's the book that I currently have uh, on my nightstand. And I'm looking at Master and Commander, and I'm like, should I do it? Should I just go, like, I read dad books now? I mean, it fits. It looks good on you. Do I drop my, my like, almost exclusively sci-fi and fantasy novel lifestyle for dad novel lifestyle? Could be the path. That's great for you. So, anyways... um, you know, if they have the barrels of gunpowder down in the in the hold of the ship and mm-hmm. they get hit by a cannonball and that cannonball causes the barrel of rum to splash on the barrel of gunpowder, it, yeah. do, it doesn't do anything to, to compromise their war readiness. It's not like a Ford Pinto in the Navy situation. Yeah. Like you're not getting unintended explosions out of your... Yeah. Your naval interactions there. I'm sure there was plenty of rear-ending going on on those ships, Adam, but uh, but not that kind. <laughs> ben, I, I saw you uh, finger that bottle earlier, which is what inspired uh, my choice of beverages today. Oh, yeah. What do you got there? I did not choose the same rum. I chose a different rum, and this rum is unique because it is distilled right across the way, the base of the Santa Monica Mountains. No kidding. This is Parlor K rum. Have you have you seen and heard of this? I've seen advertisements for Parlor K and or Parlor Key. I've uh, wondered how they would prefer people pronounce it. 
Oh, when has that ever stopped us before? <laughs> this is Sespa Creek Distillery out of Oxnard, and uh, it is described as the island ventures westward in the original recipe made from scratch at our distillery that sits quietly below the Santa Monica Mountains. Mm. In true small batches, then barreled in new American oak and finished in Pedro Jimenez sherry casks. Ooh, all right. It is a very pleasant amber. It really is. And uh, four fingers of this in a rocks tumbler. I love this Polish tumbler because it's really big in circumference. Yeah, that's a thick king. I got some trivia for you about this episode, Ben. Oh, really? You, me, and and most other Star Trek enthusiasts uh, are aware of Dr. Star Trek, Larry Nemesek. Yeah. Met him a bunch of times. I say it that way because he doesn't seem to remember us anytime we've run into him on a subsequent occasion. <laughs> we, we, had a, we had drinks with him uh, after our live show in LA this year. He's and it was great. great. He's a great hang. He told us about how he came to acquire Gene Roddenberry's golf clubs. One of the greatest hangs at Star Trek Las Vegas is between three and four in the morning out on a casino floor with Dr. Star Trek getting hammered. Yeah. What's his drink, Adam? It's rum and Diet Coke, Ben. Rum yeah. and Diet Coke. <laughs> rum and Diet Coke. He was drinking rum and diets when we went and chilled with him after our uh, our live show. We went to Formosa Cafe with him, which is a yeah. place in LA that is known for like a great tiki cocktail. I'm like, hey, hey guys, I'm going to go uh, get us around. What do you want? Ben like points out really fun and interesting tiki beverage. I'm like, cool, I'm going to get this other really fun, interesting tiki beverage, Dr. <laughs> Star Trek, rum and diet, <laughs> make it a double. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. He's great. Here rules. The reason I bring him up, Ben, is like I knew for a long, long time that he pitched a story to Star Trek Voyager that was that was eventually turned into an episode. This is that episode. Wow. Amazing. He pitched it to the writer's room before the show even began, before the caretaker, before the pilot of Voyager. He got in there, slid his manuscript across the desk and was like, hey, what do you think of this? <laughs> and then seven years later, he gets the call. <laughs> Amazing. This is a great premise for an episode. I tip my rum and diet to him. <laughs> You know, I have a little Dr. Pepper left over here from lunch. What do you think? Do you think rum and Dr. Pepper is anything? I think it is. And I think it's in honor of Dr. Star Trek. I think that is right. a kingly beverage. All right. I'm pouring out the last of my my Dr. Pepper into my lovely Jamaican rum. That's uh, that ship surgeon strength right there when you mix the Dr. Pepper and the, and the Navy strength, right? There you go. Uh... <laughs> Here's to you, Dr. Star Trek. Yeah. Ship surgeon of greatest generation. <laughs> Today's episode, Ben, it is as the game of buttholes, the will of the caretaker has prophesied. Mm. Yeah, season four. Mm. It's season seven, episode 14. Prophecy. Reverse course. Unless you've got something a little bigger in your torpedo tubes. I'm not turning around. So our cold open involves Voyager being attacked by what what seems like a ship off screen. But yeah. when we go to the bridge, we learn that this is a ship that is cloaked and the weapons are Klingon. And 
holy shit, just a couple of seconds later, it's revealed it's a D Savon. Uh, you just hit D8. If you like Kinga Coladas, bring it on in the rain. Oh. This thing is a really old pile of shit. So they're able to use like a, a version of their sensors that exploits something about these old cloaking systems into into finding it in space, IDing it, and shooting it. Yeah, they do a metaphasic scan. They they knock out the cloaking device, and pretty soon these guys are just dead in the water. Like they, the element of surprise shit that they pulled on the Voyager had shields down to fifty percent in a mm-hmm. way that was like, man, those like that's an old ass ship, and that really packed a punch. But once the Voyager crew kind of figured out what was going on, they're they're no match. And Janeway convinces the captain of this ship to get on FaceTime, and we cut over to the bridge of the Klingon ship. And I was so glad that they spent the budget to give us a Klingon bridge here because I feel like, like this is like one of those things where like they could have built like they could have like put some Klingon badges and uh, you know some brown paint on a couple of stage flats and had a Klingon guy sit in front of it, yeah, and sell this. But they they really cut around this bridge and. Janeway is like, what are you doing? We're friends. Like the Klingons of the Federation signed a peace treaty at Kittimer. Have you ever heard of it? It was like kind of a big deal. These guys don't know what they're talking about. She's being so cool about this though. Like, and I think that she should be. I think like if I had to guess, if I had ship surgeon Dr. Star Trek here right now, I would ask him, is this kind of based on like those you know, like you hear those stories of like little islands in the Pacific where a detachment of Japanese Navy personnel were left and they didn't hear about the end of the war because their radio was broken. And so like they just stayed there and assumed it was still on for way longer than World War II actually lasted. You know, a writer of less pedigree might have made that the pitch here. It's Klingons who don't know the war's over, man. (laughs) They're still fighting it. That's not this at all. Yeah. So she's like, yeah, like we're friends with the Klingons now and uh, I can prove it. I got a chief engineer who's a Klingon. And this captain of the Klingon ship, Captain Kolar, is like, shit, maybe maybe I got to reassess all of my assumptions. Maybe I got to stop manufacturing faucets and toilets and stuff and kind of get with the times. Yeah. Janeway uses BLT as a way to broker an in-person discussion. Like, I don't think there's any other reason to come over than out of the curiosity about what BLT might be like. Yeah. They didn't do the thing that they sometimes did with Worf, though, where they, like, throw him in the captain's chair. Like, you take this call, you know? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or have her on the bridge for any reason? Yeah. She's never up there. So after Kohler arrives, they're walking through the corridors, and there's a moment where it seems like this is going to be like the standard diplomatic tour of the ship or whatever. Kolar doesn't want that. He wants to meet BLT now. And so they go right to the conference room where BLT and Chakotay are waiting, and his first reaction is to her body. You're with child. That's what the doctor tells me. You're not supposed to do this, right? Like, even if you think, like, you're pretty sure, 
You don't ask, like, how soon you're due to a lady. If you're Chakotay, aren't you a little hurt that nothing's made about your appearance either? Like, he's got the huge (laughs) face tattoo. That has to be interesting to a Klingon of this era. Like, hey, my face is here also. I too am decorated. (laughs) Yeah, he's got to be bummed. Yeah, but Kolar is like really floored by this information and he's like wait what month did you conceive and she's like uh ah, i don't know man like that's uh, like this has already gotten like very personal <laughs> like i don't even know you Kolar's like put another way what month did your husband dump in you <laughs> <laughs> She's like, no, I understood the premise of the question. I didn't need yeah. like another another run at it. Honestly, that made it more uncomfortable, not less. <laughs> I mean, at least he doesn't reach out to touch her belly. That's just the worst. Yeah. It happened to my wife so many times. Like and when her baby was really little, like people would touch him. Like you'd be like out with him on the street and people just touch the baby. It was like, what are you doing? I would say we're pretty close friends. Never touch your baby, never touch your wife. <laughs> That's how polite I am. Yeah. You stay well on the other side of the room from both of them <laughs> and uh, keep your arms crossed and kind of like never make eye contact. It's really abrupt here. Like you think this meeting is going to turn into a thing, but Kohler wants to get the hell out of there. Yeah. Kind of suddenly. Got to go. Janeway's like, hey, before you go, uh, Maybe promise me you, you're not going to shoot once you're over there. That can be sometimes how this happens. He's like, no, I'm not going to shoot. It's fine. I just need to go. I didn't want to say this, but I, my stomach is. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had some bad gawk right yeah. <laughs> before I came over here. <laughs> so he goes back and he's talking to all these other Klingon dudes. And he's like, this, I think this is it. I think this is what we've been looking for. Scroll wise. Mm-hmm. And there's just so much talk of scrolls and signs and quoting of things going on here that you can tell that these guys believe that some kind of prophecy is being fulfilled. And they refer to it as the day of separation. Doesn't mean much to us right now, but it means a whole lot to these folks who are in kind of a trust but verify mode over there on the Klingon ship. And over on the on the Voyager bridge, they detect something kind of bad going on on that Klingon ship right away. Yeah. Is there like a guy on the Klingon ship who's like grown up knowing his job is to like push the big red button the second somebody says the day of separation has arrived? Because this happens so fast. I would say that I felt this moment more deeply than I would have anticipated. Because this old D7 is fucking beautiful, man. Yeah. It is so neat to see it fly in formation with Voyager. I wanted so much more from these shots and of this ship. I wanted it to be around all the time. I know. And when they blew this thing up, it was really upsetting. I totally agree. I think that like one of the most effective choices that they made in this episode was to make this a D7. Yeah. And to 
give us that feeling of like, we're running downhill toward the end of this series. Like, what if they just have Klingon friends with them for the rest of the way? Yeah. Like 200 of them. <laughs> Sick. Yeah. And no, like the warp core is going critical. Captain Kohler is like, you know, you you better beam us out of here because there's no fixing this in time. And on the Voyager bridge, they're like, you know, there's going to be a lot of like porcelain that like crashes into us when that ship blows. Like, <laughs> we need to get the fuck out of here. And Janeway orders them to beam every Klingon aboard over to the shuttle bay and go to warp at the second they've got everybody. And Tuvok is like, that kind of outnumber us, Captain. <laughs> Did any part of your imagination go toward the idea of those prison cells still being in the shuttle bay and maybe a dozen of them being beamed into there? <laughs> That's where my mind went. Wow, good call. I didn't even think of that. That's not it at all, because we get a wide shot from above in the shuttle bay, and there's 200 Klingons in there milling around. I loved that shot. I went back and watched that like three times. (laughs) So you watched it way more than I did. Tell me whether or not that was eight Klingons just like copy pasted around the whole room. I think it was. They have not made this amount of loaf in the history of Star Trek. (laughs) I I was in a student film in college where I played an entire army storming up a hill and they just had me like run up the hill. You were a Visigot? Like 50 times, you know? Amazing. <laughs> and uh, it looked great. I kind of have always fantasized, what if there was an army of 300 Bens, you know? I'd be terrible at that. I, I don't know that I could do more than three or four facial expressions. Oh, yeah. It was exhausting. Yeah. They, they did put a fake mustache on me for some of them. <laughs> That's great. Our course is locked in. Do it. Listen to me very carefully because I'm going to say this once. Do it. So they are able to warp away to escape this blast. And in Janeway's ready room, uh, Tuvok confronts Kohler with the truth that this was auto-destruction. And this has got to be something that Janeway is impressed by, right? There's coffee in that self-destruct sequence. This is exciting. They did enough, like, scanning of the other ship as everything was happening that they can figure out that this was... Not done in good faith. That that ship blew and blew big because they blew it up intentionally so that they could get on board Janeway's ship. And he's like, yeah, I mean, here's the thing. It's our sacred duty to worship that booty, specifically the booty of the unborn child of Mm. BLT. Yeah. It's fun how he was never going to disclose this until after his plan was found out. He's like, all right, fine. I have a great grandfather and he lost faith in the empire. And after finding a secret scroll, I assembled a crew to go far into the galaxy looking for the savior of our people. The Kavanaugh is who we're looking for. And also Squee and- BJ and Donkey Dong Dog. Another binge drinker. They believe to be BLT's unborn child. This baby has an enormous amount of debt that was suddenly forgiven just before uh, being given a huge promotion. I went to Yale! Kind of a lot of unanswered questions around the savior of the people here. Pretty troubling stuff, but these Klingons believe that the Kavanaugh will bring them out of their 
struggles and lead them into a new empire. Yeah, it's not that Kavanaugh is perfect, but like Kavanaugh will make possible their goals. Right. Which like most people don't agree with, yeah. to be clear, yeah. but they don't care. I love the... I, I should use a different word besides pregnancy, but I love the pregnancy of the moment where like the idea of BLT being half Klingon is one thing, but like how long they wait to disclose that it's also half Tom Paris's baby in there <laughs> is big fun. That is a huge amount of tension that I almost wish they exploited for longer. Yeah. So they have a big McLaughlin group. Issue one. It starts with... BLT's incredulity at what the plan is. They're almost amused by them in a fun way. Yeah, this is Janeway and Tuvok bringing to the senior staff what they learned in this meeting with Kohler. And they're like, hey, you don't need to tell us what happened between you and a Kohler in a room. Like, that's a little bit more than you need to share. Sure, I mean, you go to Europe, you're going to get extra Kohlers. (laughs) Doing all kinds of things yeah. in your hotel room. Yeah. Like when you turn on that faucet, it just shoots water across the room. What's that for? Yeah. That, that's not for filling your, your night water cup. I'll tell you <laughs> that much. So uh, they're pretty concerned. Like, we have noticed that there's a lot of alien trash of the galaxy kind of like milling around in the shuttle bay. And that presents some security challenges. And why is the carpet all wet, Todd? I don't know, Margo. But, like, what are, what are we going to do about these people? Like, we're still in the fucking Delta Quadrant. Like, it's not like we're, like, close to home. The tension of the scene is really interesting because they're like, well, we can't just keep them in the shuttle bay forever. And I think a good portion of this meeting are like, yeah, we can. I mean, <laughs> we, I don't think we blew all of the jail stuff out of the door. Like, I think we can rebuild some barracks or whatever. We could stop and get a bunch of hay to put down on the ground. Like, a crowded cargo bay full of people walking around on hay is not unprecedented in Star Trek. Your hospitality leaves a hell of a lot to be desired. They get to roam free as long as they don't go into restricted areas. Ben, you mentioned earlier, like, you evoked that idea of the World War II soldier being unaware that the war is over. Imagine fighting a war for generations. On your ship over there. Yeah. Being the great-grandchildren of people who believe the Federation is their mortal enemy. How long would it take you to be peaceful toward those people as you walk around their ship (laughs) unmonitored? I think it is an enormous leap to just go, yeah, let's just let them walk around. We'll uh, put up a velvet rope in front of the, uh, the doors to engineering or whatever. Yeah. Well, I mean, we'll pitch a tent right next to the warp core for a few of them just to keep ourselves honest. But I think there's a generational war refractory period that you kind of need to endure before you come out on the other side uh, with peaceful feelings. Yeah. I mean, like the first example of this we get is uh, seen in the lunchroom, which is really crowded and mostly with Klingons. And Neelix is into this. Like he's mostly kind of like moved the menu over into offerings that are more uh, palatable to Klingons who are, you know, drinking blood wine and eating gach and, uh, you know, beef ribs and stuff. It seems like Klingons would love beef ribs, right? Yeah. Oh, come on. It's so fun. 
the Gach is not moving. And initially I was like, that's got to be sad for them. But then I was like, they probably haven't had, like these Klingons probably have never had live Gach. Like they've probably only ever had replicated dead Gach. That's a great call. I mean, back in their era, do they even have replicators? I guess they do. I don't know. Because they had it in Strange New Worlds and Discovery, and that was pre... Yeah. Yeah. Neelix, and I should say right from Jump, great Neelix episode. Awesome Neelix episode. (laughs) Is totally psyched about getting to make all these fun foods. Fun foods he wouldn't ordinarily make. Yeah. Uh, But he does have a note. Yeah. A note about the summer bus with the windows closed smell. (laughs) <laughs> that seems to be a part of the mess hall at this point. I like that he likes it. Like yeah. He's like, I think it's great, but um, some of the crew have come to me to pass this up to you. That These guys are a little bit stinky. I think it is so in character with Neelix, who has tastes that are bizarre and unusual compared to the rest of the crew. It, it would make sense that uh, he would find the musk of these folks interesting and even uh, pleasurable. Harry gets in the middle of some some shit. Some shit pops off between a couple of these Klingons. They are having a big disagreement and Harry Kim is trying to trying to stop them and, and Neelix is like, "No, no, 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 no. I've been reading about like conflict resolution colon Klingon style in all of my research about how to make friends with these people." And he gets in there in the middle and pronounces like quarreling over food is chicken shit when you could be preparing yourselves for battle with a real enemy. And it doesn't go great for Neelix in this moment. Kim has to has to re-engage and he he throws one of the Klingons against the wall. And she turns out to be a lady Klingon with a boob window and she is very interested in the amount of passion he shows in this moment. The oversexed Klingon female. I mean, has that been a part of Star Trek forever? I don't know. It doesn't seem that way. I don't think TOS had horny Klingon ladies. I don't think it had lady Klingons at all. Did it? This lady, Cherega, is uh, very intrigued by Voyager's stickman. I mean, who wouldn't be? Yeah. She's like, there's only one, but it's enough to fill me up. Get up, Harry. Who are you? Harry Kim. Parents must be very proud. She was aroused. Uh Who are you? Harry Kim. You have a fiery spirit. You will make a worthy mate. Who are you? Harry Kim. I lasted 22 minutes. And your mom? Very proud. Harry Kim. Who are you? Harry Kim. Yeah, Harry Kim could fold it over. And uh, (laughs) make it happen for her. Yeah. Later on, uh, we get the payoff for a reference that happened earlier in that conference room. As a consequence of all of these Klingons joining their ship, everyone who lives on the ship currently is going to have to share their quarters in order to allow room for their visitors. And wouldn't you know it, Neelix rolls into Tuvok's quarters after work that they are sharing... (laughs) <laughs> that Tuvok did not know about. Mr. Neelix, may I ask what you're doing here? He's the last one with the open room. <laughs> what does that say about Tuvok? Is it either 
no one wants to live with Tuvok, which I understand, or Tuvok did some sketchy shit in order to like make it seem like he had a roommate already or mm. was otherwise occupied in some way. I think either is plausible. Well, he's a, he's a Vulcan and therefore he cannot lie, but... When you live with a Vulcan roommate, you got to expect there's going to be a lot of meditating happening and you don't want to be in the room for that. Right. I sort of think the former, like, nobody wanted this and and Tuvok was happy to assume that it just wouldn't happen for him. Like, I think it was my sophomore year of college. I didn't have a roommate in my double for the first three weeks of school. Oh boy. And then I was like, is, um, do I just have a single? Like you just, I, you can't say shit, Ben. And I didn't, I didn't. Yeah. yeah. And then a guy showed up and it was, it, it sucked. He, he was whack. Who shows up to college three weeks late? They're called doctors. I don't know what he was doing, but I had two extremely shitty roommates. He was, he was the shittier of the two. <laughs> But yeah, and and like showed up three weeks into into a semester and ruined my whole like you know I, it was a real it was a real meditation fest in that room before he showed up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, whenever you rolled up to Ben's door and you saw a cravat tied around <laughs> the, the doorknob, <laughs> maybe come back later. I love that Neelix saunters in there like they are the odd couple who have been living together for years before Tuvok has an opportunity to ask, what the fuck? Yeah. (laughs) Because in many ways they have been living together for years. They were Tuviks. It's true. I wish one of them said that. (laughs) I love how like Tuvok is logical and unemotional, but even he does a pretty good job articulating how let down he is by this. I prefer solitude in my own quarters. And that is not enough to penetrate Neelix's social obliviousness defenses. Like, (laughs) nothing is getting through that shield. It is such a magical combination of, like, I did so much research about what Klingons are into and how they think and, like, what is meaningful to them on a interpersonal basis so that I could, like, help the crew negotiate this transition. And also, that one weird guy with the pointy ears, like, who cares what he thinks? <laughs> yeah. Great scene. So uh, we get a moment with BLT at work, and she's clearly been at work for quite a long time. Tom is uh, slaving away over their dinner, as I know that you and I can relate to. Just like a, well, like I I started cooking because I thought you were going to be ready for dinner at 7.30, and um, like some of these things are kind of hard to stop once they're started, And now it seems like you're not going to be ready for dinner till like 8 or 8.30. So I just want to know what's going on. Let me tell you another thing that you and I are acutely familiar with. The idea that BLT gets a call from Paris that she basically ignores. (laughs) (laughs) The idea that our wives will be on on their phones, I'm just going to be kind and say fairly often. 
except for the moments when we're out of the house <laughs> needing to communicate with them about something. Yeah. That's the moment where they're just not looking at it. It's not close at hand, and I don't think about it very often. <laughs> Did I tell you a legit, profoundly scary thing happened to me recently that is related to this concept? I got home from a social hang, and I came home to a house where the TV was on, the dog was there, my wife's phone was there, Everything was as if my wife had just been beamed onto a, an alien spaceship. Like it was like <laughs> she had just disappeared. Like yeah. there was food on the stove. It was wild. And so I call out to her, lover, <laughs> where have you gone? <laughs> She's not anywhere. She's not in, in the bathroom. She's not in either yard, you know, having taken care of a Ripley mess or whatever, she's gone. She's gone. And I'm in the house for like 10 or 15 minutes. I can't text her. Her phone's there. Yeah. I'm like, where the hell is she? Finally, like 30 minutes later, she came home. And I was like trying to trying to be chill about it. But like, yeah. hey, what are you doing here? <laughs> It turns out she had made and delivered key lime pies to our neighbors using the limes from our from our giant lime tree. You guys have a an incredibly prolific lime tree. Yeah. So like all of the the cooking apparatuses on on the counter like this is a kitchen that had been used. Yeah, yeah. Which is what made the scene so unusual for me. And she's like, "Yeah, I just got Roped into a conversation. I didn't think I would be gone that long, so I left all of my shit. And it made me think, like, I cannot think of a condition where I wouldn't bring my phone with me. Yeah. Even if I'm just going to a neighbor's. It it struck me as as totally unusual and probably something I should do more often. But in this case, kind of terrifying. But also, like, in a previous era, like, this wouldn't be that weird. Not at all. And it wouldn't like jar you that much because mm -hmm. it's like, yeah, like people are gone and you don't know why all the time. And because there is no way to just text them, that's a curiosity that can never be satisfied. So you don't even in indulge it. Yeah. Like the, the TV show was not paused. Yeah. Like there was creepy aspects to this. Like the old kind of show where you couldn't pause it. Yeah. It was really unusual. Yeah. That's such a fucking weird, but it's also like such a Star Trek thing, right? Like yeah. you can, you can just communicate with everybody all the time in Star Trek and like it's weird and breaks the show when they don't just ask the computer where someone is and are confused about that. Right. Yeah. And like, that's sort of a, a thing that we are like starting to have in our reality now. And when it doesn't work, it does kind of break reality. It's like, no, come on. The narrative is fucked up at this point. The whole reason I got the watch was so I could leave the phone at home. Yeah. And I still never leave the phone at home. I got to do that. I was much better about leaving the phone at home when I first got the watch because there was a rideshare app on the on the watch. Mm-hmm. And they stopped supporting the watch on the rideshare app. They blew it. You blew it. I used it a couple of times where I was like, all right, I'm just gonna I'm gonna leave the phone at home. I'm gonna go out and socialize. I'm gonna be with the people that I'm with. Mm -hmm. If I really need to communicate with somebody, that can be accomplished on the watch, but I don't 
it's not a seductive enough temptation to like look at the whole night. Yeah. And I can get home like in an emergency if I need to because I've got the app. And uh, yeah, they took it away. They took the killer app away. You blew it. So when BLT ignores Paris's call, this is what that made me think of. <laughs> and so like, it's sort of like that thing where like she sees the call. She's like, oh shit, I'm late for dinner. Doesn't answer it, but like heads for the door. Then there's a bunch of Pach Parazzi out there. <laughs> she doesn't want any of that either. So yeah. she site-to-site transports from engineering home. You and I know how this goes. You you try to leave the venue. There's a, a bunch of thirsty fans out there. Yeah. How about where BLT appears near the dinner table. Like, that could be a terrifying moment, depending on where Paris is. I think it's terrifying for Paris specifically because she's in that pose where she's, like, rubbing her back, like, ugh, what a day. Mm-hmm. And uh, when you have already done the thing where you're like, I'm a little bit stressed out about dinner getting put on a table at a time that works for everybody, so I'm going to call and you can tell your partner is annoyed that you called, and then they show up with the what a day pose. It's like, I'm fucking in for it. I'm, I just fucking, I, I made my bed, now I gotta lie in it. What you're describing is the reversal on Paris. Like, Paris has the confidence to set the meal onto the table after having his call screened by BLT <laughs> in order to get the upper hand. On whatever happens when BLT comes home. But when BLT site to sites with that pose, it's been reversed. Yeah. BLT has the upper hand now. Yeah. She's fucking pregnant, man. She's You can tell her body is sore. Like, she goes, gets on the couch and does that, like, oh, my fucking back. They're trying to have a moment when yeah. the captain just kind of barges in and is like, the Klingons are on hunger strike. BLT, you got to go talk to them. It's weird how BLT gets it from both barrels because when she's complaining to Paris about her day, Paris preaches patience. And when Janeway comes in about this hunger strike, she's encouraging BLT to hear them out. It kind of sucks for BLT, the kind of position she's in. It is brutal for her. Like how many masters everyone is asking her to serve. And I think it's a great... BLT episode for like I don't know it just it 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 felt like really authentic to I've I mean I've never been pregnant but I uh, have observed a pregnant person up close and the like amount of demands everyone wants to put on you <laughs> you haven't been pregnant but you have had prime rib for dinner before yeah coffee black make it yourself I'm trying to help you see this as an opportunity to grow make it yourself. So she goes down and meets with the uh, the elders of the Klingons, who don't seem that old, mostly. I love the 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 burn barrel in the shuttle bay kind of <laughs> mise-en-scene here. Yeah. It's great. She shows up and they're like, the ridges are weak on her. Like, what the fuck? And like word had not gotten back to them from the like like Japanese schoolgirl fanboys standing outside engineering like yeah these guys ha- do not know until this moment that blt is only half klingon yeah and they are 
shook. We destroyed our ship because you said she was the mother of the Kuvamach. Show me where it's written that the Kuvamach must have pure Klingon blood. Yeah, and that's before they hear Paris is the father of the child. And then uh, accusations of a false savior are aired in their grievances. And uh, yikes, this does not seem like a good scene. I know that you're familiar with situations where things don't go well for a Kohler. Could you relate to the captain of the Klingons at all in this moment? It seems like a plumbing issue. Because out in the corridor after the meeting breaks up, Kohler's like, hey, we got a plugged up drain here. And uh, if this thing overflows, it's going to be a holy war. Yeah. It's not going to be good. Yeah. So in the conference room, Kohler has an interesting proposition. He's like, now everybody knows BLT's baby is not Krav Maga. (laughs) But what Kohler's theory presupposes is maybe they only need to convince my people that she is mm. he's an interesting character because he's like he's the captain of the Klingons he is multi-generational at this point on this mission to fulfill the prophecy in these scrolls and the conclusion he has drawn is the scrolls are a bunch of bullshit the people that started this mission were lunatics and the people that I live with are believers in it, but I am very concerned for their well-being, and they've suffered so much because we are on this janky-ass old ship uh-huh. from, like, the TOS era. It's what I call the 2260s. You know, Spock, Scotty, those guys. Like, this thing was built in the 60s, for Christ's sake, and we're out in the D-Quad. BLT, can you just put the hat on and pretend you're the Krav Maga for a little while? Quit going for my grunt! No growing, no Krav Maga. Kohler articulates something that I've thought about for a long time. W slash R slash T, like big religion. And I'm not going to be specific about which religion. I think many of them could fall into this category. But like the biggest and most, most powerful ones would seem to have like their leadership figures and then like a whole bunch of subordinates. But you can't tell me that at least a few of those subordinates aren't like, just got to keep wearing the hat and slippers and like keep keep doing the thing. Because if I don't, it's going to be anarchy. Like we cannot let this structure dissolve. Yeah. Like the idea that any institution has 100% faith in everything doesn't seem viable or truthful or whatever. Only the friends of DeSoto are truly of the faith, you know? Yeah. Like, they, they're the only people that, that are true believers. I, I agree. But it's it's so refreshing to hear a Kohler go like, look, we got to just maintain, right? <laughs> There's a lot about this that is ridiculous. But, like, absent this... The whole structure falls apart. And and that would be worse than preserving the thing right. to begin with. Because there's that tension between stability and justice that, mm-hmm. I mean, runs through all of sociology and mm-hmm. humanity. Like, 
and there are people that are absolutists on both sides. Like the 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 stability absolutists are often, you know, cited as carrying water for the injustice people, mm-hmm. and the justice absolutists are often criticized for advocating for a complete destabilization that would lead to more suffering. And right. And you've got to do that math. Yeah. In that position. And as the captain of this band of 204 Klingons, Kohler is in a unique position to flush a solution through. Absent at this meeting are two characters that I wish were there for the comedy reasons alone. Mm. Because what's on the table is like, let's keep the story going so that we can drop these Klingons off at a planet that we could resettle, get the hell off the ship, problem solved. And if Neelix and Tuvok were at this meeting, I bet they'd be pro-deception completely, right? Oh, man. Because they don't want to live together anymore. (laughs) They have such a unique motivation not to to let the Klingons stay on board for that much longer. They have a very personal investment. Yeah, in why this should be the plan. I wonder if that would have gotten too close to the Worf's brother is Paul Sorvino yeah. episode in Vibes. Yeah. But yeah, they like... Well, Worf's father was Paul F- Sorvino. No, it was his brother. What? Yeah, and they they like made the like simulated thing in the in the holodeck where they took the, the villagers from one place to another. Oh God, that was so long ago. Yeah. That's wild. <laughs> Hey, we'll get back there eventually, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> next series. But Kohler is like, right next to me, there's a little roll of paper right next to me. Is that rolled over the top or or over the back? We can call it a scroll, if you will. Uh-huh. And come study this scroll with me. See if you can find a way in studying these scrolls to help me bring my people to deliverance. And she's like, all right. I mean, the the tension in it also having to do with, with Kohler being like, hey, Janeway, you ever bend any rules to get your crew home headed in the <laughs> right direction? Like, look at us. We're captains out here in the D-Quad. Like, we got to bend the rules sometimes, right? Yeah. I think that finally solidifies that decision as viable in this scene. It does. And so he and BLT have a meeting in her and Tom's quarters. And uh, I loved this because there's a moment where he's like walking around and he's like, you don't have any Kalis shit in here. (laughs) And he is standing in front of like a 1950s toaster that's just on the shelf. Like clearly Tom is like so into 50s shit that he got a fucking toaster that... BLT's like, clearly you're not familiar with the New Testament. (laughs) Dude, Kalish loved toast. (laughs) Loved it. Yeah, when they they brought like a genetic facsimile of him to life (laughs) and like Worf gave him the blessing to become the head of the Klingon Empire as a sovereign, but not as like the political leader. He was really into toast. That was in the uh, hot pink letter version yeah. of, of the book. A, a lot of young Klingons can't afford houses because they spend so much on toast with like avocado on it and stuff. Yeah. 
This is a really interesting scene because Kohler's like, uh, I noticed you don't have all of the things that I would have if I were you in your quarters. And also, do you want to pray together? And BLT is like, I don't really do any of that. And Kohler's like, cool, well, I'm gonna. Yeah. And when he does this, it's such a great scene because up until this moment, BLT hadn't really given these old prayers much thought. But as soon as he starts to recite it, BLT remembers and she starts mouthing the words, something's sticking. I can remember the words to this specific prayer, which implies that it is so deep in my memory that it outlasted my lobotomy. There is no depth you could stick the ice pick (laughs) that would remove this from my consciousness. I've got to get that latinum. Put your latinum where your mouth is. I've I've got to get that latinum. Now I think we've just drunk gold. Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen because these are very low-dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry-level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books. They send in paintings they send in uh, crochet work it's so cool and uh i want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters i want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves and you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use squarespace it'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool, creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. 
We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on. Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. I think that Ren T. Brown, the actor that plays Kohler, is is really great in this scene. And um, I looked him up. He's like played a, a character on the Orville. He's like still he's still doing stuff. I like that his portrayal of a Klingon authority figure, like many of the other Klingons that we get to meet, maybe not all of them. Like he's specifically like enough generations have passed from completely warlike, crazy Klingon to like more learned and red Klingon that like he he's so he's he feels like a modern Klingon in so many ways without having been exposed to modern Klingons or the historical events that would have made that possible, you know? Like right. in a nature versus nurture kind of way, nature made this possible also. He arrived at many of the same conclusions yeah. that other contemporary Klingons did. Right. They do the prayer and it's like this was a very relatable scene to me. Like, I'm not a religious man, but like the times that I have been in a group of people reciting a prayer together as a group, I do find that there is something powerful about that. And I, I don't know, like speaking of master and commander, which we talked about at the beginning of this episode, like that scene at, at the kind of break mm-hmm. into the final act of master and commander when they cite the Lord's prayer I find that like an incredibly moving scene. Like it is not about what that prayer means to me. It's about what that prayer means to them. And mm-hmm. I think that there is so much in this moment that is super authentic to that kind of experience where it's it's like a, a deep childhood memory for for BLT. And you know, like the the idea that there are lots of coincidences that her life happens to have that line up with these scrolls starts to become persuasive to her in this moment. Yeah, great scene. So over in Six Bay, Kim is there with face wounds from his horny Klingon woman. And uh, Dr. Mark Mark. has no advice besides kill or mate. (laughs) (laughs) and he gives Kim a permission slip for fucking aliens that Janeway has to sign as well. Yeah. Authorization granted, Harry Kim. (laughs) Make sure you return the carbon copy to my office before you actually do it. This is the Harry Kim form. Yeah, it really is. Didn't exist before him. Those pages are stuck together because they're carbon paper, not for any other reason. (laughs) (laughs) We get this moment 
in the lunchroom after hours where now BLT is kind of is trying to wear the hat, trying to live the truth that Kohler was hoping she would, where she, you know, relates some of her epic battle stories to these people. And Tom is like, you know, Soto Voce to Neelix, like uh, some of that <laughs> a little bit more than she actually did at the time. But uh, that's just, that's part of the culture, man. You know? I love that he's even at this thing. Good job by Tom Paris. Yeah, he showed up for all the things, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's not that she's pregnant. They're pregnant. (laughs) I bet she wishes she were there without him. (laughs) We get to know Tegreth a little bit more in this scene. There have been scenes previously in this episode where he's kind of piped up about how bullshit this all seems. And this is a scene where he is very energized in this opinion, and he is not on board at all. He he feels like BLT is being puppeted yeah. by Kohler, and uh, by the end of it, he challenges Paris in a fight to the death, and Paris accepts. It's a great moment. He stabs the carving knife into the burnt bird meat, and Paris picks it up, and I mean, like, maybe a little bit of a stretch for Paris. Like, I kind of thought instead that they were going to take the scene in a direction of Paris going, and I beat Captain Chaotica and, right. like, told some, some like, bullshit stories. But instead, it's Paris agreeing to an actual death match and BLT being like, that's Tigress. He's fucking tough as hell. I think referring to Chaotica is super interesting because... Like, up until this moment, I was thinking of these Klingons as kind of Lenny Klingons. Like, they're from a group that only knows of what was true 100 years ago in in terms of technology and everything else. I thought for sure this episode was going to construct a story in which they could use the holodeck against Tigreth, where, you know, they they would give Paris super strength or something, a hollow Paris, if you will. Like yeah. something in order to to use their technology advantage against these guys. But that wasn't the case at all. This seems to be on the up and up. Segreth challenges Paris and he says, yes! <laughs> I love that it's like smash cut to the meeting after. Issue two. Janeway's like, you're not going to do this, right? <laughs> you're in so much trouble, Paris. <laughs> what was I supposed to say? How about no? When Tuvok enters this meeting with Tigret and Kohler, the plan is quickly pivoted into dull batleths. Yeah. And not sharp batleths. This is uh, American gladiator rules. Yeah. And not fight to the death rules. We're going to do a scrimmage instead of a real game. There will be no death matches aboard my ship. Meanwhile, in a hallway, Harry is trying to avoid that horny Klingon lady. And what a guy. Neelix jumps on the sex grenade for him. You better believe that one's going to blow big. (laughs) I love how Neelix alphas the shit out of Harry Kim here. Yeah. This is great. It's great. Didn't know he had this gear. I didn't either. And then the next scene is the big Bantleth fight, and they've done Star Trek caves up in the holodeck. The captain is there with Neelix, and Dr. Mark is like, oh, yeah, like I'm basically like the the ambulance that's parked ringside in case one of the fighters goes down hard. 
there's one element about this scene that didn't work for me, and I want to know if it's the same for you. Putting Tom Paris in the bear suit, like a little kid wearing a bear suit. He, <laughs> I really I, I couldn't get this out of my mind. I literally, here's my note. I'll, I'll read it to you verbatim. Tom looks like a kid in his dad's business suit in Klingon armor. <laughs> it's the fuzzy arms. Yeah. I wish he had just had like cut off sleeves, like his spindly yeah. human arms coming out of this uniform. I thought, I thought would have been better than this costume. Bat lifts out, guns out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the arms don't work. But I thought he did a great job with the stage combat. Like, mm-hmm. like B-Dunks yeah. looked as good as anybody ever has swinging a bat lift around in this scene. Great and job by him. It's a long fight scene that has a lot of attacks and parries and ducks. Turn, parry, dodge, spin, and getting slammed against a wall and then pushing the guy off and losing your sword and running for it and getting it up off the ground just in time. I love the idea that these batleths are non-lethal as if like a yardstick covered in butter knives is still <laughs> gonna fucking hurt. Yeah. Like the sharpness isn't the problem, it's the energy. Yeah. It's such an exciting scene, it's almost a shame it ends the way it does because yeah. it just kind of peters out as Tigress gets more and more gassed and he just seems like he old man's out of it yeah he's fucking exhausted yeah he's like that guy you see in uh in viral videos like the 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 boomer at a sporting event that got too drunk and like picks a fight with people that they shouldn't you know and then just gets like shoved into an aisle yeah that's what this guy reads like yeah and and so he goes down and Kohler explains like oh this is this is Narette and we smash cut to six bay and we learn that this is a sneak like like Narette to the Klingons is like, you know, when you're not fortunate enough to die an honorable death in the Klingon way, Narette comes and gets you. And Mark is like, no, it's this like it's this sneaky virus that it hides in your DNA and the transporter filters didn't detect it because it's so it's so dormant. And mm-hmm. then it activates at some point and it's like shingles yeah it's Klingon shingles it's it's Kling shings and <laughs> and I love when Janeway is like you didn't think to tell us you guys hell had a fucking disease and Kohler is like we do not think of this as a disease it's just a natural part of our life cycle on board our like ancient claptrap D7 yeah and I love that little flourish of writing because that is that feels super authentic to Klingons. We're old. We don't go to the doctor. <laughs> what are you talking about? They've all established all of this and the camera kind of pans over and you realize that Tom and Bolana have been standing in Six Bay for all of this. Mm. Janeway turns to Dr. Mark and he's like She's got it. Yeah, baby, she's got it. She's your Venus. She's your vector, Narek contractor. I'm going to need a new uh, microphone fuzz after that. <laughs> Objection noted. We'll do this without you. Do it. Do it. Objection noted. We'll do this without you. Do it. 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 
They get Tigreth up off of his bio bed, and uh, Tigreth heads out of Six Bay to go get ready for to death. <laughs> yeah, he is very upset. He tells the the elders that the child is not Queen Amon. <laughs> <laughs> And he seems to be a little bit of a rabble rouser, right? He he kind of uh, forces the remaining believers in in BLT's child to maybe reconsider, yeah, their belief system, right? They have to act for the good of their people to resume their search, and it's like it's a very much like they didn't realize they were getting played by Kohler the way they were. Like Kohler has been acting in what he believes is the good of his people this entire time, and they're like. Actually, the good of our people is doing the shit we've been doing and suffering under the entire time, and we need to recommit to that. And the way to do that is to steal this ship because we blew up our old one. What do you make of the quality, and we see this all the time in movies and TV and in real life, that as soon as the spell is broken, you know, as soon as true believers lose their belief... They must immediately glom on to another just as substantial belief system. Like they cannot be absent yeah. that essential quality. It's like they either glom onto a new one or double down on the old one, even though it's like totally absurd at this point. But it, it feels so real for Tigret to go like, yeah, the scrolls are bullshit. Guess what? We're taking over Voyager. And for everyone to be like, yeah. Yeah. And then the next scene is they're in the ass lab and he's like gassing up Kohler like, yeah, we got to find, we got to do a survey of a planet so that BLT's child can lead us to it. Because I'm into that now. If you're Kohler and Tigret starts being nice to you, that's suspicious, right? You got like to that. freak out when <laughs> Tigret starts. I think helpful Klingons in general have got to be suspicious. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So... You know, they come to this planet and they start getting ready to do surveys of the surface. And one of the Klingons is like, so, Harry Kim, tell me about your transporter system and how they are used and what button you push to do the beaming. These are the targeting scanners. Exactly. I don't like this scene for Harry Kim. He's a real mark. How can you be this guileless and be such an accomplished stick man? I don't know. Or is it the like complete lack of guile that makes him such a trustworthy lover? It's what floods basements across the quadrant. Yeah. Back in Six Bay BLT is told by Dr. Mark that he's had a huge breakthrough. That's like a a tiny moment in this greater sequence because back in the transporter room, Chakotay is like, all right, I'm going to walk this giant group of Klingons to the transporter room. I'll go ahead and lead because I know where that is. I'm going to stay up front here, back turned the entire time. And I'm never, even when I go through the doors of the transporter room, I'm never going to turn around. I'm going to walk all the way up onto the pad and then kaboosh, he's (laughs) ambushed from behind. Yeah. And the plan that we see unfold is transporting the entire Voyager crew away to the surface but they just can't get them all because there's a force field around the bridge. The bridge is onto this. Like they see that there are shots being fired and 
the transporter room. I love that Janeway calls down to engineering and no one answers. And then they whip pan over to Paris and he's like, figures, right? (laughs) (laughs) This is my life. (laughs) This is what it's like to be me. I'm talking about some shit that I'm going through and <laughs> oh somebody's texting you oh I'll wait and then fucking you try like something really important is happening and you try and get in touch the phone's nowhere nearby yeah. Am I making any sense here? Over in the transporter room, Tuvok and a security detail have been dispatched and they they get there in time to watch the Klingons beam away to the bridge. Yeah. And on the bridge, there is an absolute firefight. Yeah, they can beam into the force field, but not out of it Yeah, for some reason. But this firefight is fucking awesome. It's, it's great. so good. Where did the Klingons get dustbusters? I really wanted them to have Klingon weapons here. Uh, that would have been cool. Yeah, like like take them out of pieces of their uniform, like old school. It makes sense that they wouldn't when they were suddenly beamed away from the D7. But like, I just love the look of them so much. Yeah. It really must burn to Greth's toast that they don't do mercy killings on Voyager. Because when he loses this gunfight, he's like, all right, like, I, hey, I took a swing, like, just, just like, do me now. And they're like, yeah, we're not going to shoot you while you're lying on our fucking bridge. Janeway's like, the only thing capable of burning your toast is in BLT in Paris's quarters. Turn the dial up to 11, see what happens. Well, it's one louder, isn't it? He wakes up on a bio bed, cured Mm -hmm. of the Narette, and it's because BLT's child had hybrid stem cells that Mark turned into a cure. They got a pretty great doctor on the ship. Good job by him. Solid. Tigret's cured, so are all the rest of the Klingons. So is BLT and her unborn child. But specifically, Tegreth is like, this is proof about BLT's unborn child. Like, this this makes me think that the scrolls were true the whole time. Yeah. He has a fucking religious moment here where he's like, she is the Katamari Damacy. Katamari Damacy. You know, in the beginning of the episode, I thought the slippers and the hats were cool as hell. And then in the middle, no way. Not for me. Now, slipper and hat guy. (laughs) Hell yeah. Give me them scrolls. Yeah. Like a main point of this episode is that we we are taking these Klingons to a planet where they can rebuild their society. We're just dropping them off where they get to do this. And almost nothing is made of what a significant moment this must be in their lives. And how fucking terrifying it has to be on so many levels that they're just getting left in the middle of nowhere. On like a barren planet with no technology or anything. You never get to go down there either. You never see the surface. Even though like most of the Voyager crew spent a significant portion of this episode down there. Yeah. Instead, you know, we get a little like log about how they're beaming everybody down and then Tuvok coming back to his quarters and there's... In Tuvok's defense, no gym sock hanging from the door, but also no doorknob, so where you hang it. <laughs> There's just a Leola root laid across the threshold. <laughs> that was like the drunkest moment on the show. <laughs> that was really fun. How are you doing with your beverage, by the way? Oh, I'm almost to the bottom. Yeah. 
Feeling good. This is one of those uh, those glasses that starts. Like, look at this puck of glass at the bottom. Like, half of this glass is glass. That is a... I admire you for getting that home from Eastern Europe in your suitcase. Because yeah. that's, that's a thick king. That's a lot to shatter in your suitcase. It feels like pounds. Pounds of glass. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. It's beautiful. Tuvok finds Charega in the room. Who's that? The Klingon lady with the boob wind mask. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. The, you want to talk about Musk? Is this the happiest Neelix has ever been? They're both fully clothed, which means, like, they tore that ass up, and then they were, like, getting dressed, and they were still yeah. kind of going at it. Yeah. It's the sort of uh, fuck fest that you know there's some leaking inside the clothes after. Oh, yeah. For sure. And Neelix seems to have really... I mean, he's got to be fucking psyched that Alpha Quadrant is where they're headed, right? Yeah, I mean, if there's more of these out there, he's uh, as motivated as ever to get where they're going. Is there not room in New Star Trek for a Neelix bump into? Like, we've seen a lot of these characters... In these new shows. I think what's so interesting about that question is how little I thought of Neelix at the beginning of this series and how much I think of him now. Yeah. Like, he would be most welcome in a new Star Trek series. But in that first episode of Voyager, hold him under that bathwater until the burbles stop. <laughs> Just fine with that. He and Jereg have really uh, trashed two ox quarters. He promises to get everything right. Just go, Mr. Neelix. BLT says goodbye to Kohler in a way that I know that you sort of wish you could say goodbye to Kohler almost every day. Like, I wish this wasn't something I had to think about every day. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Yeah. And we cut to the button of the episode. Tom and BLT hanging up a ceremonial bantleth on the wall in their quarters where their baby daughter will sleep. You got to make sure this isn't above a changing table or a crib, right? That's just smart with all the bangers likely to get dropped on the ship. Yeah, like they say in California, like don't hang art that's under glass above your bed because if it falls off the wall in an earthquake. I've never heard that before. And not that that's a problem for us, but... Oh, you guys have, you guys have lots of great art on your walls, though. Like... Uh, yeah, like it's a thing to think about. And uh, I, th I think they very wisely hang the sword on the wall over like the dresser, you know. Worst case scenario, it's going to fall on the floor. Not going to like n lop anyone's head off in a midnight banger. And uh, yeah, they uh, they add Kuvamak to the baby name list. Yeah, one more for the list. Into the credits. Ben, did you like this episode? You know, I'm really easy to get along with most of the time. But I don't like bullying, I don't like friends, and I don't like you. I really like this episode. I thought it was a great amount of fun. I thought it was a great mix of Star Trek Voyager specifics with Trek canon. And I didn't clock the writer salad at the beginning of the episode, so I didn't realize that Larry Nemechek had had something to do with this. Yeah. But it really makes sense. Like somebody that gets Star Trek on this level, pitching this as the concept yep. is 
something that really adds up for me. And I really enjoyed it. How about you? Man, I just love a D7. Seeing that thing flying around. Yeah. And this version of it, too, looked especially good. I think they really did it justice. Yeah, I mean, what a surprise, running into these Klingons this far from home. I almost think that this could have been expanded to two episodes. Like, there was a lot here. A lot of places you could have gone that, for single episode's sake, you had to keep constrained. Good performances. It would have been a really interesting, like, midway through the last season turn to keep the D7, keep these characters, and have a big part of the last, you know, 12 episodes of the season be about them deconstructing this weird cult religion that they were all raised in. I think the reason I bring up the specter of like, like the phantom limb that is maybe the, the cliffhanger into the second episode is like, you think of all of the adventures that Voyager has been in, in the D quad, like I kind of suspect that these Klingons would be a little more haunted than they are. Yeah. Cause they've seen some shit. If Voyager has seen some shit. Totally. And if they've seen similar shit, like I would expect them to be a little more shell shocked than how they are. Yeah. Like I, I would have appreciated a read on the Klingons. Like I understand it. You, like there's only so many dimensions of chess you can play here. And I understand this is why the Klingons are how they present themselves. But like to get a version of the Klingons that are maybe even more alien than what they were expecting because of their experience. Right, like what if like in the process of meeting each other at this point in the D-Quad, like Voyager has gone through a bunch of space that caused their ship to have like Borg stuff in it Mm -hmm. and other influences alien-wise. Like if the Klingons had a Klingons but changed as much as that kind of setup going... That would have been such a an interesting approach to this story. Yeah, I agree. But that's just for our imagination, man. Yeah. Well, do you want to see if uh, anything piques our imagination in the priority we want to inbox, Adam? Oh, those are real, Ben. I believe they're real. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental. 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 Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Our first P1 is of a promotional nature. It goes like this. Hello, Ben and Adam and the FOD community. Just wanted to give a shout out to the fun, supportive collection of food nerds we call the greatest exocooks on Facebook. Without their support, I wouldn't have started my blog side project, cheflennytour.com, which is a collection of self-guided food tours in and around NYC. If you two had a food tour that you could do, what would it be? P.S. Love Factory Seconds <laughs> and the Green Onion song bit. Wow. I love the idea of doing a food tour. Man, that's a great question. Um... I'd say, like, barbecue is my greatest love as a food, but I wouldn't want to do a tour of it because I just want to eat all of it at the first place, you know? For a minute, 
you and I had discussed a concept for a podcast that was like old-timey steakhouse. Oh, yeah. And the significant old-timey steakhouses of every city. It seems like every every city has one of these. And they're all a little bit distinct based on, on where they're located. It seems yeah. like... And I love these places so much. Like, I love the darkness and the boothness and the steakness of them. Like... Yeah. All the spider webs up in the up in the corners of the ceilings. Yeah, I think that would be the sort of food tour that would interest me the most. Like, why do I love these places so much? Why does why does everyone in every city You get really walking for a moment there. Yeah. I think they're just great. I think that's that's what I would do. I I think that's fun. I am not a celebrity, but if I ever got to a point where like hundreds of thousands of people really gave a shit I might write a here's a food tour of my childhood and take people through the like the restaurants that I still think of today that are still open today that like formed my food identity and most of them are, are going to be in the Bay Area, and a couple of you know a, a couple of the most important ones are gone because restaurants go away, and that's just a part of life and a part of that business. But the like burrito place that I formed my my attachment to burritos is still open. Mm. There's like a pizza restaurant in like Berkeley and Oakland that uh, does like Chicago style pizza for some reason called Zachary's that was like a big part of my pizza awakening as a child. They do, you know, they do deep dish and not deep dish style. And it's like a very specific, very Chicago, but also very Bay Area thing. And there's like a couple of like Thai restaurants and Chinese restaurants in the Bay Area that are like very, very important to me. Uh, Hang Ah Tea Room, which I've taken you to uh, in the Bay Area. It's like the, they claim to be the first dim sum restaurant and Marnie Thai in San Francisco. Also uh, a very formative restaurant for me. And uh, not to sound like a fancy pants asshole, but Chez Panisse would be like where you end. Really interesting data point that our visit to Sketchfest, uh, which included Windy this year, did not take us to the Hangna Tea Room, uh, nor to any tiki bars this time yeah, around. We were uh, we were so busy the whole time. Yeah, yeah, but uh, what a spot! Yeah. What a couple of spots. Good question, Chef Lanny. Yeah. So the call to action here is join the fun Facebook FOD food nerd group. The greatest exo cooks, and take a look at cheflennytour.com. And uh, next time I'm in NYC, I'm definitely going to do that. Ben, our second priority one message is from Gabe, Abby, Frank, and Sophia. It is to Sasha and Adam. Their message goes like this Congratulations on the birth of your daughter. Though she was born in a hospital and not 10 forward, Chief O'Brien and Keiko would still be proud. <laughs> we couldn't be happier for you, and we wish you many a fun hour watching Star Trek with her as she grows up. Live long and prosper. Ah, That's so sweet. Congratulations, Sasha and Adam. I know that every couple truly wants their baby to be born in 10 forward, but a hospital is a good second bet. Just imagine all those episodes of Star Trek. 
you have ahead. I know. That's bonding right there. No kidding. Fuck you, Dad. I like watching football. <laughs> Uh, our final B1 today is from Quinn. It's to Ben and Adam. Goes like this: Hi guys, riding high on the hand sanitizer seas. This may have already been answered, but with Voyager coming to a close, have you considered transitioning commentary to Quantum Leap or X Files? Just trying to keep the money train rolling with love. I like Quinn. Wanted to make sure the the money spigot remains. Yeah. Do you watch X-Files very much? X-Files is a late night syndicated show over the antenna airwaves for me. And I've dipped into X-Files off and on over the years. And God, I don't know if it holds up. Really? I I rewatched it. um... I loved X-Files when it was out. Yeah. I'm going to say I I rewatched it like eight or seven years ago and Mm -hmm. really liked the first several seasons but Mm -hmm. it's one of those shows that kind of like was so popular at a certain point that it was like a little bit a victim of its own success where I think that the smaller scale and the weirder tone (laughs) worked better for it you know how uh, moms always mispronounce things that you like Mm -hmm. (laughs) like how they always get it just a little bit wrong I just had a really powerful memory back to when uh, X-Files was a thing and I had just come home from a haircut. I was still living at home. Like I must've been in high school or something. Yeah. And my mom was like, hey, you just, you look just like Muldar from that <laughs> X-Files show that you watch. <laughs> and I found it so painful. <laughs> Cause that's not what I was going for and that's not what his name is. Yeah, you were going for Seinfeld. <laughs> Yeah. Well, listen, you may not think you can do this, but Ben and I will get it exactly right when you uh, write a priority one message at MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. We will pronounce it correctly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We will get all your references. And uh, it goes a long way in supporting this show and keeping the money spigot on that Quinn was referring to. Indeed. In their P1 message. Hey, Adam. What's up, Ben? Did you find yourself... A drunk Shimoda. Incredible. Drunk Shimoda. Harry Kim. <laughs> Harry Kim is Voyager's stick man, and yet he's finally met his match, hasn't he? Did, in your mind, it go down between him and that Klingon lady before he visited Six Bay? Was it like a, okay, I tried it and it's not for me? visit to six bay like i don't like that she hurt my face or was it a like i didn't even get close to trying and she hurt my face and i stopped the next time we hang out with dr star trek i'm gonna say this (laughs) you got it wrong with harry kim harry kim voyager's famous stick man you know who who should have been the guy Ichib. (laughs) imagine Imagine Ichib, who thinks he knows what sex is, who yeah. who thinks BLT has a crush on him. Imagine a Klingon actually showing interest in him and what that would do. Wow. It would have fucked him up in a really <laughs> fun way. Yeah, that's my vote. Man. What about you, Ben? Yeah, okay, I'll join you on the Harry Kim Square. That was well argued by you. I think so. 
I think I, you know, I had Neelix in my notes, but uh, here, Kim, come on, man, you got this, you can do it. Also, if like if you're an actor, that's a pretty fun show schedule for yourself. Yeah, it's like a light lift, and yeah. it's memorable. Like good stuff. Agreed. All right, Adam. That's it for today. Let's figure out what next week is going to look like for us. Of course, for that, we turn to gach.biz slash game, where we keep the game of buttholes, the will of the caretaker. Let me tell you quickly about next week's episode. It's called The Void. (laughs) Voyager is sucked into an inescapable subspace void, which is inhabited only by other trapped vessels battling each other for survival. Doesn't Voyager know they they should avoid the void? Mm, You would think. Yeah. Jonathan Del Arco is a guest star on this one. What? Yeah. That's exciting. Yeah, I don't think he's playing Hugh, but... No. All right, man. Our runabout is on that Quark's Bar Square. It looks like up ahead we've got... A His Eyes Uncovered Square. Mm. That's the Temerian metaphor type of episode. Mm-hmm. And we've got a banger that uh, would move us five spaces back were we to hit it. That just drops us on square 19. That's nothing. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. I'm going to go ahead and roll. I rolled a two, which lands us on square 20. Chula! Did I win? Hardly. Regular episode next week, but uh, Eyes Uncovered Square, still in play, my friend. Yeah, sure is. All right. That has been this episode of The Greatest Generation. Much appreciated to all people everywhere who support it by going to MaximumFun.org slash join. Get ready for the Max Fun Drive coming very, very soon on these airwaves. We have some exciting stuff planned for the Max Fun Drive. And uh, in the meantime, we should also thank Wendy Pretty, our producer, who uh, edits every single episode of this show. Does a great job doing it. And uh, herds the cats that are me and Adam. Yeah, she's pretty great. Pretty glad we got to uh, hang out at Sketchfest with her. And with so many real-life FODs, you know, one of the big takeaways from that experience was, like, how great of a fan community we have. And my little hitch in my voice, my hesitation was was referring to a fan community at all. But it's substantial, and they gather in so many places. I'm talking specifically about the Discord in this case. So many people came up to us talking about how great the Discord is at DrunkSchmoda.com. Dot com. And uh, it's a place not just to celebrate the shows. That's only a small part of it. It's about uh, meeting other fun people, making jokes, having watch parties. I don't know. Finding a casual encounter. All kinds of things happen on the Discord. It's good stuff. Go seek it out. Thanks to Bill Tilly, our card daddy, running social media stuff over at uh, Greatest Trek on any social media company worth its salt and many that are not worth their salt and with that we will be back at you next week with another great episode of Star Trek Voyager and an episode of the greatest generation Voyager that's like man I'm glad we're not battling Nagilum or some shit yeah 
me out of that. Cheers, guys. Wachayim. Make it so. Woof, woof. Maximum Fun, a worker-owned network of artist-owned shows. Supported directly by you.